hello everyone and welcome to artifacts i'm your host marissa dickens and today's guest is an author she has two published books and a third one coming out soon i'm super excited for that one which is going to be a four-part series so please wherever you're listening help me welcome chelsea babolski I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. I love to read. Um, so when I'm not dancing or teaching, I am that girl who will stay up late to read a book. This is great. I'm super excited. So I first discovered you and your works at a author signing in Perrysburg, Ohio at a bookstore called Gathering Volumes. If you're from Perrysburg, you check it out. It's really cute. And so I first discovered your book, The Wood, and I read it and I absolutely loved it. It's such a unique standalone novel and I think it's great for the fall (laughs) oh thank you so much I really appreciate that that's definitely what I was going for like I wanted to put everything I love about fall including like the creep factor in some ways the coziness of like warm sweaters and firesides and like a cottage like just that feeling for sure so glad that you enjoyed that part of it (laughs) yes you should definitely whoever's listening read read it right now in the fall it's great but yeah, so I found out about you there. And then I read your other book recently, Remember Me, which is great. We'll talk about all of them. But I wanted to have you on to not only talk about your works and your processes, but this idea of storytelling is an art form that I think it's, it's universal, whether in a book or maybe a script for a film, or if you're just at a friend's house telling a story that I think people don't realize that it's everywhere. And so, yeah, without further ado, let's get started. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in Columbus and that is also where the wood is set. I was born and raised there. And so I just really loved the idea of setting a book there because obviously I know it so well. And Mm -hmm. there's this particular stretch of a road, uh, 315, that goes through Columbus and it inspired the location of the book because it goes by the river Mm -hmm. and it's just this old wooded area and it's a very you know, it's a two lane road, but it's a smaller road and curvy. And so you're curving through all these trees. And especially during fall, it's gorgeous because all the leaves are changing. And then during winter, it gets really creepy because you have all of these like branches that look like witch's fingers that are coming down. on you. <laughs> so, and there was this old cottage there, the stone cottage that is just breathtaking. And so like every time my husband and I would drive through there to go visit family, like I just kept getting these images of a story that ended up being the wood. And so, yeah, so I'm a huge Columbus fan. Um, my heart will always be there. Yeah, it's just wonderful. What kind of books did you read growing up? So it's interesting. I mean, obviously Harry Potter. I am from the Harry Potter generation. Um, <laughs> and I, I love the fact that I was able to grow up in a time, even though it was very frustrating at the time, where you had to wait for the next book. Because I think there's something very special about that, about like kids today will never understand, for example, when you finish book three, that we had to wait something like three years or something. for yeah. book Like I can't even remember how long it was <laughs> now, but I will never forget walking through. I was actually in a train station in DC. Uh, I don't know how old I was when book four came out. I can't remember middle schoolish age, maybe, mm-hmm. but I remember seeing the poster for book four and it was saying like coming soon. I freaked out because I was like, oh my gosh, it's coming and it looks so beautiful. And what is this tablet of fire? So obviously Harry Potter, um, but it's kind of funny because I also grew up in a small town um, that at the time 
did not have a bookstore. And so mm-hmm. to get books, you either went to the library, which if I went to the library, I obviously stayed in the children's section, or you went to Kmart to get a book. So in the children's section, like I didn't know at the library, I didn't know that there was a young adult section. Somehow I missed that. And of course, at the time, young adult was not the big genre that it is mm-hmm. now. So typically I'd get my books from Kmart, which were all adult books, right? So I didn't even really discover young adult until college. And funnily enough, of course, it was Twilight. It was the Twilight series. Yeah, because my friend was reading it and was like, you know, you got to check out this series. And so I came into that series. I think the fourth book had just come out or was just coming out. So I was able to binge read. And then right after I finished binge reading that, like Hunger Games came out right as I was. So I read that. And so it became this portal into the young adult world where I finally felt like, oh, this is where my voice lives as a writer. And so then I just devoured young adult books from there and realized, okay, this is, I'd always loved writing, but I had a hard time figuring out what to write or or where my voice fit. And so finding young adult at that point in my life was just such a blessing. I grew up where, yeah, Hunger Games was coming out. I think I was like eighth grade and then Twilight. I remember reading all of those, like Percy Jackson, all those series. And like young adult just hits, you know, the romance side, a little bit of tension, the angst. It hits everything. So absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I love most about young adult that I really try to capture in my books is it's such an interesting time in a person's life. And maybe I remember it so well, because it's also where I met my husband, my husband, and I were high school sweethearts, you know, are (laughs) still together and extremely happy living our happily ever after today. But I just love that it's this microcosm of a, of a society in high school where you're trying to figure out who you are as a person while other people are also telling you who you are or who you should be, whether it's your parents, your teachers, like, and most people try to do it helpfully, right? Like Mm -hmm. they see your strengths and might say, oh, you'd be really great at this or that, but you're also trying to find yourself. And so it can be a very confusing time. And you're also still trying to make these like huge life decisions, or at least at the time, it feels like I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Do I go to college? Do I do trade school? What do I do? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. so it's such an interesting time because yeah, it's, you're trying to figure everything out, but you don't even know who you are. And so I really love exploring that as well. Mm -hmm. And now that I've, cause I've been, I've been writing now for gosh, over 10 years in terms of writing, like with the pursuit of publication in mind, I was writing before then, but just for Mm -hmm. fun. And so now that I've been doing it for so long and written so many young adult books, that is definitely where my heart is and where I plan on continuing to write as an adult now in my, in my early thirties, I'm also getting more ideas for adult novels. Mm. At the same time, I remember my childhood so well that I'm getting more ideas for middle grade. So Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to find that place where your voice lives, but also know that as you continue on that, that might broaden or change. And so a big part of it is also finding the themes that you love, right? Because those themes will carry you through different age groups. Like for me, when I'm writing more in a supernatural bent, I love themes of like good versus evil, Mm -hmm. things like that. So again, that can go across age groups or genres in my current contemporary romance series that's going to be coming out this fall, the Christmas series. Again, that's just, I love kind of connecting with what love means and what it means to find that person who perfectly compliments you. So things like that, again, can go across age groups. So I think it's important to not only find where your voice fits within, whether it's adult or young adult or middle grade or what have you, but also find those themes that you really latch onto and, and say, this is what I want to talk about. So let's like dive into your first book, The Wood. Yes. I, I have it here. I'm like, yes. Oh. 
so the woods young adult i would say like a fantasy fiction a little romance involved about this girl winter who is a guardian of the woods behind her house and how there's time portals within the woods and she has to take people back and read that you studied was it history in college yes and mm-hmm. i love how you add elements of history in your books because i also love history too so talk about we kind of did touch upon it but about the woods in you know your little small town in ohio but then how did that expand especially those characters and that idea of the time yeah. portal yeah so the wood was interesting because definitely that road that i talked about was definitely a big kernel of the story but i was in a really interesting place when i wrote the wood because that was my fifth book that I wrote in pursuit of publication and my fourth book, like every book before then I got a little closer to publication, right? But it's a very long road Mm -hmm. full of lots of rejection. You have to either have tough skin going in or learn how to toughen up your skin. Right. And so the, my fourth book, which was a young adult steampunk romance that I still love. I love steampunk. (laughs) Yes. I I hope that maybe I can go back to it someday and, and maybe Mm -hmm. uh, polish it up and refresh it a bit and, and do something with it. But It got so close to publication, but it just didn't quite get there. Mm -hmm. And I was so dejected at this point, because at this point I'd given about five years of my life to this pursuit. And I was hitting that, like, I think I was around 25. So I was hitting that like middle twenties dilemma where you feel like everything I've been working toward is not happening. And now I'm feeling like maybe I've lost the past five years. Maybe I should have gone to law school, like my dad and my sister, like what have I been doing with my life? But I do love writing and I love storytelling. And so I was feeling really down and I was actually researching law schools and like different options. Like, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? But when you're a writer, you just have to write, like it just happens. And so in the middle of researching how to fix my life, I (laughs) felt, I just started getting Winter's voice in my head. And so it was, and her voice was so loud that I was like, okay, I'm just going to write it down. So you'll shut up basically. (laughs) And I ended up writing over the course of just like a couple days, the first 50 pages of the wood without any plot. I basically just let her speak through me. And I had no intention of even making it a book. I was like, let's just let her say what she wants to say and I'll move on. And so I wrote the first 50 pages, like completely free form. And once I got to around page 50, I realized, okay, this is going to be a book and I have to write it. And so I grudgingly wrote it. Like I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to go anywhere. Like Mm -hmm. I'll just write it. It's not going to, nothing's going to happen. The incredible thing is that those first 50 pages, other than adding in like one or two scenes later on are completely unchanged from that first like reform writing, which is crazy. But then thankfully I, I had, I only submitted it to five agents because at this point throughout my writing journey, I had queried so many different agents for throughout my four books. And I'd really whittled it down to my list of top agents And again, I was also in this place of, I don't think it's going to happen. Right. So I'm just going to submit to these like five top agents and just see where, where it goes. Right. And my absolute top agent, Andrea Somberg emailed me back within a couple of weeks saying she wanted to see the manuscript, which was very exciting. But again, I was keeping my expectations low. It was maybe another week or two after that, that she offered, uh, you know, she wanted me to be her client. And then it was another long, slightly longer process to get an editor But once that happened again, I was just amazed and I was praising God because I was like, I didn't think this was going to happen. 
I'm very thankful that I allowed winter to tell her story. Cause that's really the whole process. It was like, she was telling me this happened and I need you to know about it. Wow. <laughs> so, so it was a really incredible experience. Any artists, you have to just keep going until that point where you're like, okay, yes, I've made it. Or this is what I want to do. This is where I've find myself and belong. That's crazy that the first 50 pages for the most part are like the same that you. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So talk about then the process of, okay, you're writing this book and then the publishing aspect, because a lot of people probably don't know Mm -hmm. how how much do you have to submit to an agent for them to read? And then they have to request the manuscript and then the editor with that process and how many edits do you have to go through? Right. It differs for each book and it differs from author to author. Of course, we all love the author stories where an author is like, yeah, this first book just flew out of me. I wrote it in a week (laughs) and a week later I had a publishing deal. And like, those are great stories, right? But they're extremely rare, right? Like maybe one in every a hundred thousand authors or something gets that Mm -hmm. story. For most of us, it is years of writing and of submitting Mm -hmm. and probably of submitting different projects usually because, you know, you grow as a writer too. Like everyone comes into writing with strengths that they're just naturally great at and everyone comes in with weaknesses that they have to work through. And the only way you can work through it is by writing, right? But once you've done that, once you've written your book and you've polished it up, make sure it's as polished as you can possibly make it, then there's two different routes, right? There you can go traditional publishing or self-publishing. There's also a little bit of a hybrid mix in between where some publishers, like smaller publishers, will almost help you self-publish or kind of have a role where it's just more of an in-between. I don't know as much about that path, so I can't really speak to it, but I can speak to self-publishing and traditional publishing. I have not self-published, but I know a lot about it and it can be a great option for anyone who can approach publishing as a business, as well as a creative person, right? If you have a business mindset, self-publishing might be really great for you because not only do you love that side of it, but you can really potentially pump out books quickly because you're not waiting on publishers and all these things. But again, if you go that route, you want to make sure you're putting out quality products, right? Because there's a lot of people out there who sometimes usually unknowingly will put out things that maybe aren't ready yet because they haven't gone through the fire of being tested Mm. and learning their craft more and maybe put it out Mm. too early, things like that. So there are pitfalls with that route, but it is an option and it is a very great option. Some people are extremely successful with it, but again, it needs to be approached with a business mindset as well as a creative mindset and knowing your audience and all that. I knew that I wanted to go the traditional route because I knew that I wanted to be able to focus more on the creative side than the business side. So nowadays authors are asked to do more marketing than they ever have before because of the advent of social media so even with traditional publishing, you have to be, have some business sense, you know, it's not my absolute favorite thing, but with traditional publishing, they do take more of that role on. And mm-hmm. so it allows you to focus more on the writing. So I knew I wanted to go traditional for that reason. If you decide you want to go the traditional route to get in with a big five publisher, you need an agent and an agent is someone who will only make money if you make money. So never go to an agent who says, oh, if you give me this much money, Mm -hmm. I can be, I can take care of you, right? That's, that's a scam. Don't fall for that. So what you do is you will write a query letter and a query letter is just an introduction to who you are. And you usually give about a 250 word summary of what your book's about. Nathan Bransford, his last name is spelled B-R-A-N-S-F-O-R-D, has a great blog and website that kind of goes into that process as well. But 
basically, if you want to know what that summary looks like, it's going to read a lot like the cover of a book. When you read like the back cover or the inside cover, it gives that little summary. That's basically yeah. what you're trying to write. So you send that, you, you cultivate your list of agents by researching who's looking for your type of genre, who you think you'd be a good fit for. And then you send to them and you typically want to send in batches. So I would send usually to about 10 agents at a time, because if you get feedback from those agents about your book, then you can go back and fix whatever needs fixing before sending to the next agents through my process was again, it took me about five years to get my first book deal. So over the course of those years through four different books before the wood, I got steadily closer and I made connections with different agents where they would remember me from book to book. And Mm -hmm. I had agents who would say maybe on book two or three, like, this isn't quite the right fit for me right now, but please keep me in mind because I really Mm -hmm. enjoy your writing. So that's how, by the time I got to the wood, I'd really whittled it down to like five agents because they Mm -hmm. were agents that I'd had connections with who I really loved and they remembered so let's say an agent says, this sounds really interesting. Typically with your query letter, you will submit the first five to 10 pages of the book. And then they might ask to read a partial manuscript, which might be anywhere from 50 pages to hundred pages, or they might ask to read the whole thing. And so then you will send whatever they request and they will read it. And the hope is that they will get back to you saying, I love the book. I want to take it on and offer representation from there. And then once you do that, you might go through a round or or two of edits with your agent where they might see some things in your book that can be polished up a bit more. Maybe there's a giant plot hole in the middle that you missed, you know, that they can help you with. And then once your agent, you feel it's, it's at the best place it can be, then they will submit, the agent will submit to editors and the agent will know, they will have a curated list of who is looking for what, who would be the best fit for this book. And so then they'll send out to editors and they typically do it in batches as well, just like um, we do with agents. And again, the hope is that an editor will fall in love with your book, Mm -hmm. but that's not where it stops, right? It's not like, oh, this editor loves my book and I get a book deal. Then they have to take it to acquisitions and the acquisitions board has to, I'm pretty sure it has to be unanimous. That might not be the case across the board, but like pretty much everybody on the acquisitions board has to be like, yes, we see the vision we agree, let's go with it. Let's offer, you know, a a book deal and everything. But if you have like one or a couple people on the board saying, yeah, I just don't get it. Then you don't get the book deal, even though the editor loved your book. Oh, I know about that. Yeah. So it's a lot of doors to go through. That's why there's so much rejection. And one of my favorite stories, just to encourage people is Catherine Stockett, who wrote The Help. It's a beautiful, beautifully written book, obviously was a huge bestseller. But I love her story because it took her five years to get her book deal, but she stuck with this book. She stuck with the help. She kept rewriting it and revising it because she just believed in it so much. And publisher after publisher told her, no one's going to read this book. No one wants this book. And she just kept going. And of course, it's a huge bestseller. So publishing doesn't always know, right? Like it's easy to put them up on a pedestal and say, oh, if they, if they reject it, then it must be terrible or it must not have a place in the world. And sometimes it is just a case of, I need to work on my craft more, but sometimes it's a case of publishing, just not getting it at the time. And so it's important that you keep going regardless. You keep working on your craft. You keep submitting. If it's what you love to do, don't give up. And like you said, it is practicing your craft. Do you have anyone read your book before you submit? Like, do you have your husband read it? Or is it like, no one can look at it before (laughs) you? (laughs) 
Yeah. So I would say with my first books, I, I have critique partners who I love, fellow authors. And it's really fun when you find a critique group where you're all kind of at the same stage. So we were all unpublished when we met and now we all have our published authors. And so that's a fun journey to take mm -hmm. together, right? Sometimes once you're published, like for example, with my four book series coming out this fall, I was under such tight deadlines that I did not have time really mm -hmm. to give it to anyone to read and give back to me only because they're also under deadlines too, right? So my editor kind of became my critique mm -hmm. partner in, in yeah. this situation because of deadlines. And I will say really quickly for both an agent and an editor, you want to find somebody who sees your vision and sees what you're doing and knows how to make it shine as opposed to somebody who wants you to like ghost write for their ideas. Cause I have experienced that I've experienced people who just don't get it and who just want to change completely what you've written. Cause they just happen to think it's better. So you really want somebody who can speak to your vision and help you get it to the place it needs to be as opposed to the other way around. Speaking of vision, how do you come up with book covers? How does that process go? Because I mean, how do you explain your vision and then how does yeah. that come across? So the wood and remember me are both from file and friends at Macmillan with a debut author. The wood was my debut book and remember me was my second book. You typically don't get a whole lot of say, mm -hmm. uh, they might approach you and ask your opinion. They might not just because you're not a Stephen King yet, right? Like you can't <laughs> just be like, this is what I want and do it. <laughs> And it's interesting because I was part of a debut group at the time of a lot of authors who weren't necessarily happy with the cover that they got, or with at least the first cover they got, sometimes the publisher would work with them on it. And so here I was like dreading, I was like, oh gosh, what if I get a cover like that? I don't like, how do I handle that? And when the woods cover came through, I was just so happy. I love the white cover because it really mm -hmm. stands out. I love the autumn leaf on it. What looks like, you know, it's, it's red paint dripping off the leaf, but it's mm -hmm. supposed to also look like it could be blood because it mm -hmm. kind of speaks to the two different um, aspects of the wood. And I just loved it. And I was so thankful. And same with Remember Me. Although Remember Me was interesting because um, there was just one little thing on that cover that I didn't completely love because it didn't quite represent the book completely the way it, sh it needed to be. And my publisher was amazing because they came back with like six different covers, cover options that were like, oh, are these better? So again, I had a great experience. Not That's every awesome. author uh, has that experience. And then with my current publisher, Wise Wolf, who's doing the contemporary romance series, again, they are very much like asking me uh, what I love. And I asked for more of a graphic uh, meaning, like more graphic design kind mm -hmm. of a look to yeah. these books, which they did. And it's just, they're beautiful. Um, I love it. I'm so excited yeah. for Christmas now. I can't wait to I know. <laughs> so, so I've been very fortunate in having really great publishers who really know what they're doing with covers. So let's kind of go into Remember Me. So when we yeah. were emailing, you said this is like the book of your heart. Yeah. This is the one that you've been wanting to write. So kind of talk about that. Why is that? Yeah. So I think, so remember me, um, is about a girl who moves into a haunted seaside resort with her father and discovers she's connected to a murder there that happened, um, over a hundred years ago. It's told in two alternating points of view. One is Leah who lives in like 1907 and then Nell who lives in current day. And so it alternates between the two of them 
which was really fun because again, I love history. And so I loved getting to play with that in that aspect Mm -hmm. as well. And kind of building that like Edwardian world in this hotel. We pitched it to editors as the horror of the shining meets the romance of Titanic. Those are just two things that I absolutely love. (laughs) And so it, it just felt like the book like the wood very much did too in a lot of ways, but the remember me especially felt like the book that I've been trying to write my whole life. Like it just had every element of everything I love. It has the, the slight creep factor of the, the haunted hotel, but this like deep romance of these two people who are just clearly star-crossed lovers, soulmates, but it also has these like vengeful uh, ghosts and curses and so it was, it's like this gothic romance for contemporary readers that I just love. So I was very thankful to be able to write it and have it published. <laughs> and again, like this is such a, it's a standalone. Like I don't need anything more from this. This is just perfect as it is. And I think you create these worlds that I'm totally invested in, in like 300 pages. How was it writing two different perspectives? So that really just came naturally. Again, just like with winter, both points of view uh, were talking to me at the same time. And I really, one of the things I love about alternating points of view is that you can kind of leave each chapter at in a cliffhanger sort of moment. And sometimes readers don't necessarily like that until they get into it. Cause they're like, wait, I need to know what happened to this character. Why are we on this character? Now? Like, I understand that. Cause I do yeah. that as a reader too, but as a writer, it's so much fun to leave your character in suspense and then switch to this other character And as you get into the book, the hope is that you keep remembering like, oh yeah, this character, like I'm going back to them and and what happened? I need to find out. It kind of can increase the tension in that way. So talk about, do you ever get writer's block? And then if so, how do you combat that? So writer's block is interesting because it definitely does happen. My Christmas book four, I've spent the past year working on this Christmas series and I had the tightest deadline for the fourth book was like three months to write it and polish it and get it to my editor. And of course, that was the book with the most stubborn characters. And for some reason, that meant it was the most stubborn book to write. And yeah, I had a bit of writer's block where I would just take long walks whenever I could and listen to music, usually Christmas music, you know, to help me get into that mindset and <laughs> would just walk and walk and walk and try to think through all the possibilities. It's really easy to get distracted. And I feel like the more distractions you have in your process, the more likely writing block uh, is going to happen. So let's go into the third book then. So all I want for Christmas is the girl next door. Yes. And it's going to be a four part series. Yes. So how did this like four part series deal come about? I actually wrote the first book. I wrote like the first 40,000 words before my son was born. He's our second child. I wrote that. And then he was born. I kind of shelved it for a while. Cause when you have a newborn, you're not thinking about anything else, but yeah. <laughs> baby and yourself alive. Right. (laughs) Um, and then I went back to it and I read through it and I was like, man, I still really love this project. I'm going to finish it and send it out there. But yeah, so, so to talk about the book itself first, and then to talk about, um, the journey, the book, as you said, really centers around the idea of thinking, you know, what's best for you, right? Graham has been in love with the girl next door for like a decade, but his best friend, Jeremy has been dating her for the past two years. And it's kind of, again, I think this speaks so well to the high school experience where, when they first started dating, Graham thought to himself, it's not going to last. Like, it's fine. They can date. And then like <laughs> a couple months after they break up, I can make my move. Right. But it's like, they're still going strong and he's just still pining after this girl. And so he does make a wish on a shooting star and says, you know, all I want for Christmas is Sarah Clark. And the next day he wakes up and the whole world has changed so that he's the one who's been dating her for the past two years. 
And he feels a little guilty about it at first, but also like extremely excited, obviously. But as the, as he goes on, he realizes that him dating Sarah for the past few years has not just changed his romantic life, right? It's also changed the life of his best friend, changed even Sarah's life. And the more they're together, the more he's questioning, like, even though we're great friends, are we actually a great couple? Then he begins to fall completely not, he doesn't want to, but he starts to fall in love with the the new girl in town. And he's thinking to himself, why am I falling for her when this wish came true for me to be with this other girl? Clearly the wish wouldn't come true if I wasn't meant to be with her. So it's a book that's really about that. It's about thinking, you know, it's best for you. It's not necessarily always the case, right? And just really focusing on the blessings that you do have. And I felt like Christmas especially is such a great time to think about those things. I sent it to my agent and she loved it too, but she was like, I just don't know how many editors are actually looking for this type of book right now. And which is something kind of, we talked about how publishing doesn't always line up. Like the things they're looking for isn't always lining up with what you're writing. And so we sent out to a couple people who loved the book too, but just again, didn't see where it would fit on their list, things like that. And then I met my friend Nova McBee, who is the author of the Calculated series. It's a like international spy thriller series. It's incredible. And she it publishes through Wise Wolf, my uh, current publisher. I just told her about the book kind of offhand and she's like, oh, I think they'll really love this. And so I uh, reached out to them and my editor, Rachel, read it very quickly. But the thing that I love about Wise Wolf is that they're really trying to they recognize that readers love to binge read, right? Like just like anyone loves to binge watch a Netflix show or whatever, readers love to binge read. And a lot of traditional publishing companies can't put out books quickly enough to binge read a series because of just the uh, mechanisms of how they put out a book. It's just impossible, right? But Wise Wolf works really hard to be able to put out books quickly. And so they were like, we love this book. Is it possible it's a series, which I hadn't thought about at the time, but I sat down and brainstormed three more books in the series and they loved it and thankfully picked it up. And they were like, if you can write the three other books in a year, we'll put them all out. Boom, boom, boom this fall. So once again, by the grace of God, my mother-in-law was able to help me with the kids a couple days a week so that I could do this. Um, It wouldn't have happened otherwise, but it's really exciting because the first book is going to come out October 28th. And then every two to three weeks leading up till Christmas, I don't have the exact uh, dates on me right now each book is going to come out. So like book two is going to come out like three weeks after book one and then book three. So that readers who enjoy the books can, they don't have to wait forever to read the next one. And the thing I really love about this series is, um, as you said, with my first two books, each one is a standalone um, because they all focus on a different couple, but they all take place in the same small town. Mm -hmm. And so all of the characters are friends or intertwined in some way where you'll see how the characters from book one are doing in book two. I love that. I I love that. Yes. And it continues on because, yeah, because that's one of the things I love too, is you, you get to the end of the book and you, and you love it, but you think, oh, I want to know what happened to them. Right. 
And so throughout the books, even though they focus on different couples, you'll get to see how each character is, continues to do with their journey. So I really love that. Yeah, That's so exciting. Yeah, and with them being contemporary romances slash romantic comedies, they are shorter books than my other books. They're all about 50 to 60,000 words. The book four, again, my most stubborn book, Tightest Deadline was like 66,000 words or something. But because they're shorter books, I think that also makes them more bingeable too, you know, which I really love. So mm-hmm. how is it writing from, at least in the first book, a male perspective? So I think it helps that I've been with my husband for going on 17 years now, <laughs> because, you know, when you're that close to somebody of the opposite sex, you get to understand the way they see things and think about things more. And I've also had really great male friends throughout my life. My husband is also um, one of three boys. So my brothers-in-law like being around them, I think it's just something that I've really noticed throughout the years is how they think differently, sometimes how they approach things differently. And I find that so interesting. Like, I think to be a writer, you have to be observant of human nature. And so I find it really interesting that boys and men can see a situation completely differently from the way that a woman might. So in that way, it really helped that I've had so many years of being with these incredible men and learning how they see things. But The other thing is sometimes I think writers forget that the person of the opposite sex, whether you're a male writer writing from a female perspective or vice versa, is also a human being, right? Because sometimes you can put them in this box of like, oh, a man doesn't think about the same situation at all the same as a woman Mm -hmm. does, but that's not true. They go through the same things and they might see something similarly, something's different. So it was just fun to play with a, a different point of view in that way. But it was also important to me that I write a male character who is true to the way boys think, but who also can be a role model of what it looks like to be a really good man. And it doesn't mean being perfect, just like a, being a good woman doesn't mean being perfect because nobody's perfect, but it just looks like making those tough decisions, those courageous decisions, learning how to be maybe a little more selfless um, in a very self-centered society, you know, things like that. So that was really fun to play with. Do you have any writing rituals? Before I had kids, <laughs> I would like typically, I mean, I could write any time that I wanted to. I would typically actually sit at my dining room table because I just found that to be for some reason the best place to sit. And I would like have my tea and my candle. I would typically pick a candle that like really represented the aesthetic of that book. So like for the wood, um, I typically would burn a, uh, it was like a campfire, like Mm -hmm. autumn campfire candle. And I can't remember what I did for remember me now, but I, you know, specific things like that. And then I could get snacks whenever I wanted and stuff. Obviously um, with young children, it's not so easy. Like you have to learn to be able to write anytime, anywhere. What advice would you give anyone who is wanting to write or just tell stories? So I have a couple of things that come to mind. The first, of course, is it feels like a cliche because everyone says it, but everyone says it because it's true, which which is the never give up, um, as we've kind of been talking about through this. Uh, One of my favorite cartoons that I saw, it's like a little uh, like newspaper cartoon that I saw really spoke to me about this because it was like two panels and on the upper panel, they're both gold diggers and they had their little pickaxes and they're going through the dirt to get to the gold. And on the top panel, the gold digger was walking away and there's like a wall of rock here. And you can see that just behind that wall is the pile of gold, but he's walking away defeated. He's finally given up. He's not going to go any further. And then on the panel underneath, another gold digger is going, but he's continuing to go and the gold's right there. And so you see this and it's such a great picture of the fact that if this 
miner or gold digger had kept going just like a foot further, he would have struck gold. Right. And I just love to keep that in mind whenever I got that, you know, hundredth rejection or whatever it was of, okay, keep going. The gold's right there. I just got to keep going. Um, So that's really important. And I also think filling up your creative well is very important. Reading as many books as you can and reading widely as well, because you never know what will give you a great idea, but also watching great movies and great TV shows that uh, tell storytelling in a different way, or even video games. You know, uh, there's so many great storytelling video games as well. And really just being observant of how those authors or those movie TV people make the story. And then also being observant of human nature and just trying to discover what it is you want to tell, like what impression do you want to leave with readers and uh, what impression do you want to leave on the world? All right. So rapid fire question. If you had to use a pseudonym, what would you use? Uh, Isla Bryn. Isla Bryn was, it was on my list of names for my daughter and we didn't go with that one, but I really loved it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So I don't know. I like the way it rolls off the tongue. Isla Bryn. So I might use that someday. (laughs) Yes. Where is your favorite place to read a book? Oh gosh probably at night in bed, because there's something about reading a book at night that just like helps you fall asleep. Although I've recently been reading a very exciting book that I just don't want to put down. So that's hard, but but (laughs) typically it helps me sleep. So yeah. 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 It does. Yeah. Me too. Um, who or what inspires you? Oh gosh. Um, off the top of my head. Oh, there's so many that I could say. Um, (laughs) I would say first and foremost, God, and I'm very, uh, I seek him every day and everything I do and my family just inspires me in just, uh, remembering what's important in life, you know? Um, and then on the writing front, uh, gosh, I mean, I, I guess I'd say JK Rowling in the sense of like the Harry Potter, right? Like the, the, um, way she wrote those books, the way that she thought, so far ahead plot wise that there are clues in book one when you go back to read and you're like wait how did she know that that was gonna They're be so intricate it's right? so intricate and detailed so I would say I love the it. writing aspect um the way jk rowling wrote those books is very inspiring to me as well I guess a side question what's your favorite harry potter book if you had to okay choose? so my favorite harry potter book is not the one most people would pick it's order of the phoenix and it is a hill i will die on because <laughs> because um i don't know why maybe it's because of when i read it but i just love angsty harry like i love like how he's dealing with all of these emotions and kind of dealing with them in a terrible way and something about it maybe it's because it's the longest book too so i got to stay in the world the longest for some reason that one sticks out to me as the best and i would say the next best for me would be goblet of fire again because i just think when it came out i just thought the concept was so cool i really like half blood prince i don't know why I just <laughs> yes, think that is good too. that I mean, one's a really all good, good. Yeah. They all, yeah they all are <laughs> what is your favorite word to use that you find yourself using in your books a lot Oh gosh. Well, for a long time, I will say my characters furrow their brows a lot and <laughs> they probably shrug a lot too. So like things like that, um, I have to go through and make sure that like, okay, I feel like they can only furrow their brows throughout like the 300 pages, like maybe 10 times. Cause any more than that, it's going to be get really like <laughs> what's going on. So I have to catch myself with that. Um, yeah, I would think that'd be the, the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. Favorite classic novel. Oh goodness. Um, for a long time, I probably would have said the Moonstone. Um, it was the first detective like mystery novel ever written in English. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Um, 
not all of the aspects stand up because it was written in the early 1800s. So it's not a hundred percent politically correct. Uh, so you have to kind of read past some of those things, but I recently read through, I'd only read, this is terrible, but I'd only read snippets of Pride and Prejudice before. And I'd seen the movies, but I knew my Christmas book too which revolves around uh, Beckett and Evelyn are the two main characters in that. And they're putting on a Pride and Prejudice Christmas play at their high school. And um, so I read through the entire Pride and Prejudice and um, just fell in love with just so much of it. The time period, um, the characters, the way that... um, Jane Austen really explores human nature once again, like how you have to look past a person's first impressions or, or how they may come mm-hmm. across and realize there's more going on behind the surface, right? So I would have to say probably Pride and Prejudice. That is my all-time favorite. I've yeah. that year. Oh, I'm glad for the second book too now because I <laughs> I love Pride and Prejudice and the dialogue and just the the banter back and forth between the two mm-hmm. main characters. I have, I'm not, I don't know if you do this too, but I have multiple copies of Pride and Prejudice, different versions of like the small mm-hmm. pocketbook or the nicer found one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and I will say the Fountainhead is very good too um, mm-hmm. by Anne Rand. Like just the, um, again, not because of the time period she lived in, didn't always make the best choices in her personal life or her, some of her stances aren't, you know, necessarily so great. But from a writing perspective, that book is brilliantly written. So that's another good one. Favorite period in history? Oh gosh, again, it's so hard. Okay, so I would I love the American Revolution time period. There's a lot there. And I that's actually kind of what I focused on um, in my area of study. I focused more in um, like colonial American history. Um, but I also really love the Edwardian time period, you know, the time period of like the uh, Titanic and um, the uh, uh, like first season of Down Abbey was in that time period. Mm. But yeah, I just really love so much. I took a really interesting class about the enlightenment at Ohio State, uh, where we learned about the Elvangan witch trials, which I didn't even realize there was like, basically what mm. happened in Salem also happened in Europe. I had no, so there's like so much interesting things throughout history like it's really hard to pick one yeah (laughs) how would you describe your writing style in three words or less oh goodness uh I would say atmospheric typically especially with like the wood and remember me because those are a little more creepy but even with the Christmas books I really love to create an atmosphere um feeling I want people to feel like they're sucked into the book so atmospheric page turning. I try really hard to keep the tension up and keep you interested and invested in the story. And, oh gosh, this is longer than three words as I'm explaining, but <laughs> um, I would say, I don't know. That's all I can think of right now. Atmospheric <laughs> page turning, entertaining. That's my hope is that they're entertaining. <laughs> so you can check out, anyone who's listening, check out Chelsea's work on her website at chelseabobolski.com. And I'll have links to all of this to an artifacts website. There you can sign up for her newsletter, for book news and event updates. You can also sign up for your street team, which I just saw on your Instagram yeah. to talk about what this is about. Yes. So it's called Chelsea's Cozy Couriers, um, a joyful and encouraging book community. And um, a street team is really there to just help like any reader who's really excited about the series can join. And it's just about being part of the team that helps launch the book. So it helps put out posts about the book, whether it's cover reveals or things like that. But the fun thing about being part of the street team is that you get the behind the scenes stuff. So like I just gave a sneak peek look to my street team of a, um, 
uh, for each book for the pre-orders, which I haven't even uh, actually said yet. I'm actually going to post about it later today. But if you pre-order the book and you send me just some kind of something showing me that you pre-ordered the book, you'll get a beautiful depiction, a scene card, like an uh, artful scene card of a scene from the book and also a coloring page of that scene. And so my street team just got the sneak peek first look at what that scene is for book one. It's a painting beautifully done by Madison Brown. Uh, She does a fantastic job. So that's just an example, but you also will probably see the covers before anyone else. Uh, We might do some fun giveaways, things like that. And I also just love to check in. I, I really want it to be a supportive community where people who love books, who love Christmas for this Christmas series, you know, things like that. You can get together and talk about all the things that they love and just encourage one another. So that's really what I hope it becomes. So the book comes out, the first one comes out October 28th and you can pre-order it on Amazon. Yes, pre-order on Amazon, or you can also pre-order um, a signed uh, paperback copy from Gathering Volumes in Perrysburg oh, as well. So I don't know if you have a, if you want to link to that as well. Yes, yes, I will do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can also follow Chelsea on Instagram at Chelsea Kowalski. So yeah, awesome. perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. This was really insightful and just makes me more excited now to read the next book. <laughs> thank you for having me. I it was so wonderful. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned for another episode.